the Physio Spill Podcast, Episode 5. The person behind the player, Joel Thompson, tells his story. This episode needs no introduction. It is absolutely as authentic as they come. So without further ado, we'll just get straight in. I'm extremely excited to introduce uh, Joel Thompson onto the podcast. Um, Joel came over to, to St. Helens this season and, and I've grown close to Joel and had numerous conversations with him with, with some of the, the niggles and, and aches and pains he's had and he's been on the physio room or in the on the physio bed over that period of time. Uh, notably, the toe injury is probably the biggest <laughs> pain that we've had. But, oh, but, yeah. but in all seriousness, um, legend of a bloke, great fella to have around the group, uh, great professional and played for some unbelievable rugby league teams in his career, both in the NRL and obviously coming over to St. Owens as well. So without further ado, I'll introduce you to, to Mr. Joel Thompson. So Joe, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself really, mate, and just going through your career and, and your path to now. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, the toe injury uh, was another roller coaster. Thanks to Millsy for helping me through that. But um, yeah, so Joel Thompson um, from a little bush town called Ivanhoe in the wild west of New South Wales, quite remote. Um, it's about 300 population. Um, they took the jail away, so that dropped again. Uh, not much happening out there, but um, that's where I call home. Um, I call it home because that's where my people, I'm Indigenous as well, and um, that's where my family are from out there. They're dry land people, so they lived off uh, not much water out there, but they survived. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a few different places across um, New South Wales, um, small country places, and, and my childhood was quite, um, yeah, it was crazy, to be honest. Um, you know, I was moving from house to house and, and pretty some, cra- some crazy events that took place um but yeah it was a bit of a bit of a rough start but that was sort of my my start my childhood man and on that just you mentioned about sort of jumping from place to place yeah was there a reason behind why you were jumping from place to place was there yeah the, i was brought up around a lot of alcohol and drug abuse a lot of violence um yeah so some really some tough times um in that earlier years in my life and um, I guess living with my mum who who battled some some issues um, and yeah it just made things tough for us so you know we would be settled at one place and something would happen and we'd be going to the next sort of place and, and living there for a bit and I'd be moved off and I'd be living with aunties and uncles and, and just different random people um, it, yeah so it was just a few different things that was happening um, in, in those times and um, yeah just so many oh I couldn't even <laughs> yeah so many times where um, um, you know I'd be going to school and then when I finished I'd be all right we're going we're going here to another place now we're going to live with so and so and you'd just be packed up and gone so you'd make friends and and so, and stuff and then you know you'd be gone and this is crazy I, I haven't mentioned this too many times but my name was actually Joel Murdoch um, earlier on in those years too because um, I had a, a guy in our life, my mum's partner at the time. I called him my dad, and I thought he was my dad uh, for the first um, 10 or 11 years. So I was Joel Murdoch, and people still contacted me on Facebook. Hey, were you Joel Murdoch that went to this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, that was me. But I um, one day I come home, and my mum's like, all right, 
this is this sounds like even my wife's like how did she break it to you like this come home one day she goes um yeah that's paul like that's not your real father um your real dad's um michael spinks um uh this is him and he, she just pretty much sprayed me on the phone this is a young kid so i just is so like that sort of um was a big event for me at that time you know i really felt lost even at that stage and then um yeah so a lot of different things like that happened earlier on in my year and it sort of it gave me some battles that i had to face later on um then they resurfaced and i, and I think but you know this that was sort of that's a bit of a um you know example of some craziness in that period joe just picking up on uh, what you said at the start about how important your identity is of, of where you're from yeah obviously in in bouncing around all those different places and some uncertainty even there around yeah. your family name like how helpful has that been in adulthood in in framing who you are that that relationship with 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 your place of origin yeah so that's you know it's so important because even at that young age when my mum said oh this is not your real dad you know i was lost i was like who is my real dad you know and then i was on the phone you know i was really lost even then and i always you know question you know you know my identity even you know being fair-skinned growing up in an aboriginal community um you know i got the other side of racism as well i was called you know a white so-and-so or um i remember playing footy you know at the local football ground against my family and they, they put me on the other side but i was like blacks versus whites and i had to get on and play against my own family and um you know, so I was seeing, I was always questioning my identity and who I was and, you know, what, you know, and, you know, I spoke about being Joel Murdoch and then I went to Joel Thompson, but it was like, you know, that transition, I was so lost even at a young age. I, I think that really made me quite angry at a young age. Um, I was, I was, I struggled at school, you know, every, any argument I'd go to, you know, you'd have a fight about it. You know, I'd, I'd just use my anger and, and fight and, you know, I got in trouble with police at a young age um, a few times. And it was a probably turning point um, there that changed my whole direction of my life. Um, you know, getting in trouble with the police. Um, I was living with my nan at that time and I was doing break and enters and stealing cars and doing all the things that, I, you know, my cousins and people who I was hanging with. And um, I remember one day I was at the front with my nan I'm in the front lawn helping them in the garden and the police rolled in and, you know, it took me down to the police station and, um, you know, you're always told as a young kid, you know, I was brought up to hate police. It was just so, so bad and so toxic, but I did, you know, because living with my mum, when police come there, you're, you're brought up um, to hate them because I was always there to take my mum's partners or something was happening in the house. So police were always a negative feeling for me as a young kid or scared or like so... Um, but when I was going down there as a kid for these for the crimes I committed at a young age, I was you know, I was scared because I felt very lonely sitting in the back of a police car. Um, but then when after I got home, um, my cousins and that took the rap for me. I was sort of getting dragged along. But when I got home, this moment changed everything for me. Um, so I was living with my nan who took me in, who's probably the closest person to me. And um, she she was so hurt and she had tears running down her eyes and you know i could just see how much i hurt her from what i did because she was very respectable in the community she never drank she never smoked she worked hard her whole life and i looked up to her and she really took me in under a roof because 
I had nowhere else to go. And my nan gave me a house. And, um, you know, to see her hurt and what I did to her changed me. I didn't want to go back to that. And, you know, from that moment, you know, my nan actually gave me a little smack <laughs> across the face. And, um, for a little woman, she was, she was pretty strong and, and it was a hard little slap. And, but, uh, you know, that moment really did change me. I'll never forget it because the next day, you know, speaking to my nan, my nan said, I think it's time for you to get out of the community, get away from all the drunks and everything that's happening. You deserve it. You know, you can, you can make a good life. And I went away and I agreed to go to boarding school. And that's where I started playing footy full time. And that's where I got picked up. Yeah. Man, how, how old were you at the time, Joe, when, when you saw, when um, you talk about that turning point? When did that turning yeah, point happen? How old were you then? About 14. Yeah. And before that time, you, you mentioned stuff then about sort of the name change, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to put myself in, in your shoes here. Yeah. And it's it's a real difficult place to be because I don't know what I'd be feeling. Like you 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 found yeah. out that your dad that you knew is not your dad. Your yeah. name's changed. For yeah. me, my question for you is, do, do you feel like now... I would imagine then you didn't, but do you feel like now you belong somewhere? You are, you, you know yeah. who you are. Yeah, and definitely. When did that happen? When did you think, shit, uh, right, I've got... To tell you the truth, Mills, it took a lot of work, um, a lot of work. And if I'm being totally honest, like, I guess these demons and different things that happened to me, I saw a lot of stuff that kids should not have seen as a young kid. A lot of violence, some really bad violence. And, um, you know, I was brought up by some by some hard men too, like my uncles. And a lot of the men that I grew up around were some pretty hard men and um, men that didn't speak about their feelings or, you know, um, you know, you grew up in the bush, you toughen up, you crack on, you know, you, you don't sook, you don't cry. You get, I'd get a smack in the head if I showed any of that. It probably helped me the way I've played my career, but it didn't help me at that time. And um, as I said before, I went to a boarding school, Catholic boarding school. You could imagine I was rough as. I did not fit in. There's a lot of kids there that were not like me. And again, if you have an argument, come on, do you want to crack? Like I'll go to violence because that's what I grew up around. And, you know, I, I didn't like that about me. And I knew I had to reinvent myself, you could probably say. I had to change my behaviours, my um, everything around that and, and try and be better. And you know what changed me? Rugby league. Because I love rugby league at a young age and they wouldn't let me go and train or go and play games on the weekend I behaved and it really kept me um, behaving and, and sort of trying to do the best I could so I could train and, and play. And then I got picked up by the Melbourne Storm um, around 16, um, playing at a carnival. And, you know, that changed my life. It really did um, from there. Joel, I know how much of that experience as a, as a young man do you think helped frame your success as, a, as an actual rugby league player? Because, you know, it's a, it's a tough sport that, that has yeah. some, some pretty tough standards, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I guess, um, you know, when I went to boarding school, I I, I guess as I, I sort of went off course there before, but I did have a lot of things starting to resurface from my childhood. You know, just really struggling to sleep, um, thinking about a lot of things. I just couldn't shake it. Like, I didn't know where to go to. And I guess I started playing footy and trying to, get on with it because I didn't know anyone that would go and speak to a counsellor or anyone else. Um, you know, it just, it wasn't in my world. It wasn't, I just wasn't aware of it. And um, when I left boarding school um, in year 12 and I went down to join Melbourne Storm uh, full-time squad, 
which was a massive thing for a kid from the bush um, to go down there. Uh, they, there was a trainer called Alex Corvo. It gives me nightmares thinking of him. Um, big Italian dude. I don't know where he's at now. I think he finished the Broncos, but um, I rocked up at Melbourne um, in 07 or 06. And they sent through programs, you know, to do gym, to do certain fitness, running. Obviously, I didn't do it. You know, we played touch footy. I loved the beer, even at a young age. Um, I was just, you know, I didn't really do any weights. There's no weights around at the boarding school. So, you know, I rocked up in terrible shape. I was a skinny, fat guy. Um, you know, not that strong mentally. <laughs> you know, I was quite weak. I wasn't that resilient. And um, I turned up and... Uh, I remember doing my first weight session, right? And they thought I was warming up. And he come in and I was, he goes, I hope you're fucking warming up. And I was like, uh, no, this is my max. And I was like 60-something kilos. And, you know, he had a laugh. He said, all right, your day's off. You're in here. And, you know, that was really challenging because I guess I faced that adversity, not just to be to fit into a Melbourne Storm um, standards, you know, their standards into their club, you know. Um, and I was so far behind in fitness, weights, you know, I, I remember doing the wrestling sessions and I was getting absolutely banged and I'd have to just keep on getting up and charging forward. And um, But it taught me a lot about myself, you know, training on my days off, getting challenged. And I guess I was very lonely down there. Um, I was very lonely because I was living in Melbourne. Um, I guess when I got lonely and it was my time by myself, I started thinking about different things. I was like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it, struggling to sleep. It was just a, it was a bit of a... Um, um snowball like i was just it was just getting worse and worse and i made the decision to move closer to the family to leave melbourne um early and just to get some support around me because i knew i wasn't in a good place um and that's what took me to canberra and when you went to canberra joe and um, you went you went back to closer to home yeah how did you find the support that you got there did you find that you got what you needed in that move I thought I, I thought I was, but I guess my mum was living at Canberra at this time. And by then, a lot of my mum's partners were very violent criminals, like extremely violent, uh, very bad men. Um, and my mum was with one at that time when I went to Canberra. I went there, to, I made the decision to go closer to the family, closer to my nan who lived out of now and uncles and aunties. And, but my mum was living in Canberra and I had little brothers and sisters and um, I wanted to also support them, but that caused even more issues because my mum was, you know, she was out of con- control in some way. Uh, as sad as it is, and it breaks my heart to talk about it, but, um, you know, she had a lot of things going on in her life and a lot of issues around with the police. And, you know, I was getting phone calls on game day or captains run of her in trouble with the police or in a really bad situation. And I guess that put a lot more pressure on me as well because, you know, I made my NRL debut. Um, in 08 so the next year when I started at, at the Raiders and you know playing first grade all the pressure of everything else that was coming with it you know it sort of made things tough and you know I went to um, something I always did I, I picked up the bottle and, and I started to drink because you know for that time they'll numb everything you know and I and I, yeah I, I got myself into some messy situations from that um, but you know, I still had some good people, some good friends and family that were close by, but um, it wasn't until I met my wife that really changed everything for me, yeah. When, when you said about, you, you mentioned real briefly about a support network you still had. Yeah. 
there at the time, even before you met you met you, you, your partner Amy after that period. Yeah. So going back to that support network at that time, right. who who was around helping you then? Um, yeah, so the CEO at um, and the coach, their brothers, Dave Ferner and Don Ferner, they were, they were really good with me. Um, so I had a lot of off-field issues and they knew my story and, and they cared more about me than just being the footy player. I think they really went on, you know, to try and be that sort of father figure in some way. And, you know, I had my step-grandparents, the Murdochs, you know, Joel Murdoch, they're, they're, the grandparents were really, they treated me like one of their own and they were only not too far away. So I'd spend time with them and they'd come and support me at games. And, um, you know, they were, they were massive for me um, during those times. And even when I was young, they always treated me like one of their own and, you know, they'll, they'll champion people. So I had a lot more support and people around me than I had being away in Melbourne. I had no one. I was just a young kid from the bush that demons started to resurface, unfortunately, with the challenges of football and everything else that was happening in my life. And I sort of just, yeah, it was just, I knew it was the right call for me to leave Melbourne. Everyone was telling me like, what are you doing? You can't leave Melbourne. Yeah, they want you there. But I said to my manager, I said, it's not about, being the best football, I just need. I just know I need some help and some support, mate. When you when you sort of look back, um, I mean, anybody that's that's got family, mums, brothers, sisters, doesn't matter how challenging and dysfunctional those relationships are, you, you're still drawn to make sure that you're protecting them. And me and you have had conversations about yeah. that, and then how powerful that um, responsibility was for you to make sure yeah. that you were you were there. When you look yeah. back at that decision to move from Melbourne, do you do you regret that in any way, or do you feel that that was definitely part of your path that was yeah. necessary? Yeah, definitely, it's been part of my path. I, I think I learned a lot about myself, and you know, I got stood down um, the next year after I made my debut. I got put on an assault charge, and I knew I was innocent, but I put myself in a messy situation. You know, I partied a lot, like. Very crazy. Um, you know, I got mixed up with some bad crowds and, and put into some situations that a professional athlete shouldn't have been in. And I got stood down uh, for 2000 and feeling old. Now, 2009, I got stood down for the first part of the season. Then I come back and play. But, you know, I think all these different, you know, challenges and different stuff that I went through, it really puts me in the position I am now. Even speaking about the year that I've just that I'm going through, I think I am quite strong and quite resilient with everything that I face because I'll tell you what, there's nothing more, no challenge in rugby league or in anything will put you in some of the situations that I went through um, as a young kid, you know, going to school hungry, seeing some of the violence, getting flogged as a young, like some of those were just things that I think, yeah, all those different things sort of built me to be who I am now, I guess, and all the different challenges. So even in that early part of my career, I look at that, that now. They're not, you know, oh, I wish things changed. It's just been a part of the, the process to be where I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense, Matt. Um, and, th- and thank you for sharing it because I know it's probably yeah. quite an emotional thing to share. Um, just when you first went to Canberra, can you uh, can you talk, yeah. me and Sterl or anyone that's listening, through the the potential car purchase incident that you oh, went yeah. Yeah, so obviously I didn't come through family that managed money that well. You know, people, you know, blew it on the on the drink or, you know, the, on the pokies, like gambling or whatever else. So, you know, when I went in and, you know, I was quite 
you know, earlier on I was quite, I was quicker, I was stronger. You know, I was breaking, I was just, you know, in your purple patches and, um, you know, off the field, absolutely disgraceful. Um, but on the field, I was performing well and, you know, I got caught up in it. Like, I'll be honest, you know, the the drinking, the party and the nightclubs and everything else. And uh, I signed a good contract uh, at the Raiders and the first thing I went, didn't think about buying a house or anything or whatever. I just went straight. Um, that week, I went to a car place and tried to get a hold in the loo. I don't know if you know them over here in the UK, but they're back then, they were like an $80,000 ute. Um, and like I said before, Don Ferno, who was the CEO at Raiders, he's like, no, you're not getting that ute. I'm not <laughs> like, he pulled me up on it because my mentality was like, I need a sports yeah, like ute. It had like leather seats. Uh, personalized number plates, like the best of the best. And uh, thank God he pulled me up because I would have either, it was a VA, I would have killed myself driving it or, you know, I would have just been paying it off for so long. But um, yeah, I just blew so much cash. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was so bad. Your way of managing and dealing with situations back then yeah. was was to drink and to pie. Yeah. Um, when, when did you sort of get, that feeling you thought you, you talked about moments that yeah. really woke you up. You talked about that first moment where you thought I've got to turn shit around here. Now this is going to be different. Yeah. And then your grand sent you off to, to boarding school. When was yeah. the moment when you thought this is yeah. going to change? Yeah. Well, it was actually my wife, Amy. Um, again, through that time um, I was playing footy and I was playing good enough. You know, you play good enough footy. A lot of things, um, as sad as it is, gets swept under the carpet in some way. And, you know, it'll be different punishments. So I remember getting into a scrap, into a fight um, once out and, you know, I was in trouble. Um, so I had to go to the drug and alcohol counselling. Um, and uh, also part of that punishment, they told me that I had to, um, you know, in my days off, I had to give back to, like, uh, organisations like charities Um and one of them was, I don't know if you know this player, but it's called Ken Nagus. He was a Canberra Raiders legend. And he done some work in a juvenile justice center with kids um, there. And, um, you know, for my days off, um, I'd go out there and do some stuff with those. And I sort of started the path of just, again, um, changing who I was back then. It just gave me a bit more, um, I was a bit more settled in some way because, you know, I was sort of wanting to go and help these kids, but also I wanted to be a good role model for them. So it sort of pulled me back a bit and sort of go, oh, you know, this is not for me. I'm going out there to preach these kids. I need to probably lead by action in some way. I guess that was a slow start to me changing my behaviour. And obviously my wife coming into my life and um, there was one time there where around this same period, you know, where I was starting out in the juvenile justice centre and I was, you know, doing so well, but I'd have a hiccup. You know, I'd go and have beers and I'd, again, you know, get myself in trouble. And um, I rocked up at Amy's. I was only her, her, I was only seeing her for, you know, a month or two. And um, I had a bit of a meltdown. You know, I, had, I was on a bender. I hadn't slept. I was drinking and I rocked up to her place and I was out in the balcony drinking still, smoking on a balcony. And um, I was just an absolute mess. Didn't go to training, caught in sick. You know, I was just, I was just, yeah, destruction mode. And, um, my wife, Amy, I sort of opened up to her. First time I opened up to anyone around this same time. And, um, you know, I started crying and I never cried before. You know, I was like, I was quite hard and, you know, I'd never cry and I was always kept these emotions. But it probably saved me, saved my life because I was 
it was getting quite dark during that period. Um, I had a lot of things happening uh, with my family and outside of footy. And um, she got me to go and get some professional help. She goes, oh, I'm going to go and get you some help. Um, she worked in the public service um, in Canberra at a government office. And she said, there's counsellors there that I can access through my job. Um, I'm going to take you to go and get some help. And yeah, again, with that and, you know, doing this, continue to do some stuff with the kids and the juvie and, and different charities, I guess I just started, I started to change from that because I spoke about how I was, all these different things. I never shared any of the stuff that happened to me, never shared anything about my childhood. And, you know, here I am in front of this lady I've never met in my life at my wife's job. And I just started opening up to her. Like, honestly, it was crazy how it sort of played out because I never thought I'd ever be like that, you know. Um, but, yeah, that was sort of all those different events and different times sort of it just changed me and I just wanted to be better for it and, um, you know, to be a better role model for, for these kids and, and to back up what I'm talking about but also lead by actions and, and, and to get help and, and to continue down there. So around that period, that all, all those things sort of pulled me in the right way. Man, it's one of the biggest things that we sort of set this this podcast up about, which is about we we recognised in 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 this world and and the way that we're we're sort of meant to, as in males are meant to deal with things. We're not really, it's not really, and it's starting to break down. But that stigma is you're not not supposed to share it. You're not supposed to talk about it. It's yeah. supposed to be hard and resilient. You know, yeah. we're supposed to just crack on. Met yeah. and the fact that you opened up and shared that, that started your pathway to thinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've got to do something differently here. And actually sharing sometimes, it creates, there's, there's no truer saying, a problem shared is a problem half. When you give that information and you actually feel safe enough to be vulnerable, you've, yeah. you've created that path then. Yeah, Sorry, for sure. You alluded to their like destruction mode. Like, yeah. When... When those were coming, what what was the point of the end point of of those behaviours? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, was it to go out and forget about stuff? Was it that yeah, it was so yeah. hard to to deal with all the pressures that you had and responsibilities? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was. I guess the pressure you start to get in the public eye. You know, you're starting to get a bit of a name coming through, and you wanted to be a first grade footballer. So, um, I guess the pressure of that, you know, to perform well, to, to play first grade, and but also. Um, the pressure of my family, you know, supporting my mum and my brothers and sisters and, you know, giving money out a lot and just a lot of stress that come from that. Um, you know, it definitely um, was was tough. But, you know, the, the end point with it all, like, you know, it always just picked myself up, you know, through all these times, you know. You know, there's some dark times and some tough times. But, you know, what I did was I'd put the mask on. I'd go to training and I'd be someone else, you know. I'd, everything that was happening, I'd just leave that behind because I'd put this mask on, I'd be laughing and have, you know, having a laugh with the boys and just sort of cracking on and then, you know, get ready for the next game that was coming up and then you go out to perform and then it starts again. You go for the drinks or whatever else, you know. I just I just didn't have a healthy lifestyle um, that supported my career, if that makes sense. Like, I just didn't, um, yeah, it was sort of destructive sort of stuff I was had in my life at that time. And Joe, I hope you don't mind me asking, but yeah, number one is are you still in touch with your mother, and and secondly, yeah. around the piece when you were talking at Canberra, is is there a point where you draw a line with those relationships to to you know we all have yeah. people that are important to us, but you're yeah. trying to live a certain type of life now, and yeah. and you're a great advocate for it. 
So I, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I, yeah, so over the last what six or so years, longer seven, longer I start to sound old, but um, me and my mum didn't speak for for a couple of years because you know it was affecting me and my and my family. Like I need to protect my daughters and my wife and. It was just so much craziness. So it was hard to be happy and walking through the park and I'd be getting calls of just, you know, absolutely mayhem. And I was like, I need to protect my family. Like, they're my priority now. Um, you know, so I had to say to my mum, which is tough because even through all those tough times as a young kid and, you know, me and my mum went through some challenges, but we went through them together and I'll never forget it. You know, just different things. And, you know, times where I had to protect my mum and, and she had to protect me and, I guess it was tough to sort of draw that line and I had to, but, and I just said to my mom, I said, unless you change your behavior and change this life and the life you're living, I can't have you, I can't have any more to do. You know, I need to have a break from it all. And, you know, some of the men that she had in her life were, were, were really bad men. Like, so, um, and she just, she didn't, she continued it. And um, I've only started to talk to her in the last, started obviously by Facebook as everything does, you know, out of the, I accepted her on Facebook, um, which sounds silly, but it was just the start, and we're sort of having a bit of a few chats here and there. But I always hope for mum would be get better. Um, I won't dive in deep with my mum's issues, but I just I've always prayed as as a young kid. I would always hope that mum would get better, and um, yeah, I can get emotional now thinking about it. But um, yeah, it's been quite sad to see. The life that my mum's lived, to be honest, um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's been quite tough. And I always said to her, you know, I'm always there to support your mum when you're ready to get some help. You know, I'll have your back. But she just hasn't been ready yet, and I hope one day she is. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing that, mate. And yeah, and I hope she does as well. In, yeah. Interestingly, listening to your story, and uh, unfortunately, I, I I've. I've supported, I suppose, fortunately to share some of their journey as well. People that, that have struggled with mental health and addiction and stuff in, in, in rugby. Yeah. Um, how important is, is you wanting to change versus knowing? And I hope you understand by what I mean, because I, I feel like that's the difference between probably those that actually generally get better and live the yeah. life that they want to versus people that might struggle, do yeah. well for a while and then regress. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's me. Um, I like I know who who I want to be, and and I know what I have to do. But I guess you know I'll speak about it later if you want. But about this year, I guess I, you know, I started to go into, um, um, probably picked up the bottle a little bit too much to deal with injuries and you know the stress of what's happening over here at the moment with my wife and our situation. So um, I, I know I'm going to get there. It's just an ongoing battle, and um, I've sort of had that over my whole career. Um, you know, alcohol's been my my biggest. Um, what do you want to call it? Um, what's the word for it? Camostello. What's the word? Um, the Achilles biggest, heel. Achilles heel. That's probably it. Yeah, exactly that. It's probably been my biggest. But um, yeah, I'll get there one day. I know that for sure. Mate, just um, just on. Sort of your path and going back to certain situations where you become dependent again on 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 possibly or not dependent. You've gone back to using things like alcohol and abusing yeah. that alcohol for a period of time for probably the wrong reasons. Yeah. 
I, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. Yeah. Do you think part of that was down to your your mental health as well and how you deal with things? Is is that part yeah. of that particular process? And if you don't mind going into a bit of a deeper dive into that about your diagnosis, when that happened yeah. and what the process has yeah. been since that time. Yeah, so I'll take you back to the end of the Canberra, um, my time at Canberra. Um, I got offered by the Dragons, um, um, you know, to go there. Um, it wasn't for that much money, but I felt like I needed to get out of Canberra. I went to Canberra for some more support and I felt like I was going to be more settled. And it wasn't the case. So um, I said to my wife, she left a really good job. She still brings it up all the time. But anyway, I said, yeah, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to the Dragons and sign there. And I went to the Dragons and again, I made some good mates there. And my mates probably weren't going to help me be the most professional football player. Um, they're wild guys. And, you know, again, I got caught up in the scene. You know, I shouldn't even laugh about it, but I just caught, caught up in some um, – around my mates and drank a fair bit and, and partied a lot. And, you know, this doesn't sound like a professional. So any young guys coming through, do the opposite of me um, and don't go through there. And, you know, I drank a bit and there was some, there was some really scary times there, at, you know, where I went missing. You know, I was partying at Random's house and, um, you know, I was getting quite low as well. Um, you know, because I was drinking so much and taking certain things that I was getting myself quite low, and uh, it was just a massive roller coaster. But the the lows were getting lower, and um, the dragons got me in to see a professional uh, to go and see another counselor. And there I got diagnosed. He goes, Oh, with all this, you know, he sat me down and I actually had a couple of sessions with my wife beside me, and he goes, Um, I'm going to diagnose you. You got. Uh, type 2 bipolar. I was like, what? You know, and I just went, no way. You know, that's not me. I don't have it because um, that's what my mum has. And she didn't medicate herself. And, you know, it, it probably um, it brought just back a lot of bad memories. And I just didn't want to, you know, say that I had, you know, I was acting like her or, you know, just anything around that. I was just like, no, nah, that's not me. I just need to sort out. But, um it was, and I guess I'd come good for a certain period. Then, you know, I walked steamed out and I said to Amy, I said, nah, he's full of shit. Um, you know, I'm not believing that shit. Like, that's not me. I don't have a mental illness. That is not me. You know, I'm just denied it, denied it. And then, um, again, if you're playing good enough, um, it all sort of gets moved. You know, you sort of move on and you forget about all that. And then, again, I'd hit, I'd get back drinking too much and again hit a massive low and the dragons were quite concerned about me um benny cray i don't know if you know this guy but he's used to play rugby league he's a champion footballer played for new south wales australia and um he was working at the club so he just retired and he was working in the wealth as a welfare officer and he goes uh, we're going to go and get you some help um your wife's concerned amy's concerned um the club's concerned so they got me in to see a uh, psychiatrists like the big dogs right and there's normally a waiting list right for these people but they got me in to see him and um, sitting across from a guy um, and I started explaining stuff and my wife was with me and you know she started talking about different things he's like I've been working in this industry for a long time this is what you have you need to own it you know by then I had my little girl Imogen um, and yeah I got diagnosed there again and 
Um, they say it's genetic, and you know, there you go. Thanks, mom, for that. But um, here I was. I got diagnosed again. Um, I got medicated. I got put on lymphium. Um, lymphium, am I saying that right? But I got put on this um, bipolar drug, and I started to take it. <laughs> this sounds silly. My, my missus hates me telling this story about this, but I hope she doesn't listen to this, but if she does, sorry. Um, so when I got medicated, uh, my wife obviously... You know, she's been by my side in every way and uh, she was putting it in my mouth, you know, before I'd go to training and to take this medication because she just wanted me to be better. She knew I was a good person. She just knew I just needed a little help. And um, I started taking it and I was going to training and um, I've always played football extremely aggressive because I've just always enjoyed that part of it. I'm not the most skillful player, but I like the, the aggression, the aggressive side. And that's how I played got my career out and I was going to train I just didn't have that aggression in me I was just um, instead of hitting hard I was like cuddling and I just didn't have that competitiveness about me I was like this medication this is shit I'm, I'm off this so when Amy would give me the medication I'd put it into my tongue and I'd spit it out and yeah no good um, again things would be going good and then I'd just do a big dive and um, from then uh, yeah it got quite dark got, got quite um what can I say, challenging. I don't know what the word is, but I guess with my little girl, that was my big motivation. My wife and my girl, Imogen at the time, and my, I was just like, no, I need to be better. I need to own this shit. I need to stop, you know, making up excuses and going in and out of these good and bad. You know, I just need to really sort out my life. So I just worked on everything. I put things in place. I started journaling. As I spoke to you before, Millsy, I started doing all these different things, um, strategies and put in place to sort of, um, you know, and limit my drinking and, and different things. And that went well for me for a period, yeah. I just had to take ownership of it and, and change my life at that, again at that time. Joel, you alluded a couple of times, mate, to nearly this contradiction of performance versus the person. Yeah. And, and how well sport really gets to know people or supports them as a person because like you said when everyone's when people are playing well maybe that concern for people isn't where it should be but if they're not playing well then suddenly support mechanic like as as a as a physio that's worked in in sport a long time I, I I wonder how you how well you think we really do in changing the narrative around mental health in rugby and the stigma with it and the support that's given where, where we're at on a continuum of, of where we need to be. Yeah. A long way from where we've, you know, going back to um, the early days at, at Canberra and um, there's a lot of red flags there. There was a lot of red flags. And um, again, uh, I need to get myself in the first grade. I couldn't be thinking I had that mentality Um that stigma around it, like, no, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not taking the soft option. I'm not asking for help. I'm not doing all these things, you know, because I was brought up around hard men. No one went and spoke to a counsellor. I wouldn't know anyone as a young kid or, you know, you showed any, like, sadness or, you know, you just get slapped, like, hardened up, boy. And I had that sort of carried me through. And um, I guess it's changed a long way because they've put time in player welfare, um, there's a lot more conversations around it. They do workshops. There's, there's a lot of help out there. The physios are more 
um, across it all because, um, you know, it's important because they're speaking to players the most, you know. With Millsy, you know, I've got quite tight with Millsy because we've talked about so much and he cares, you know, it's important. And I think a lot of physios and a lot of staff and um, professional clubs now understand how important it is to keep your players happy because um, it could go pretty quick. There's so many times that my career should have been over, you know, from my behaviour because, you know, this behaviour just doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, you drink and you drink too much because of something. You know, I had a lot of trauma, a lot of things that happened to me I just didn't address and they just caught up in me, caught up on me in a big way. Man, do you know, do you know when, you, when you go back to sort of that original diagnosis of bipolar yeah and you mentioned about your mom yeah was was part of the reason why you you completely tried to say that that that's not me because of you were scared then that potentially you were on the same path as your mom 100% that's exactly what it is to be honest I and my wife speaks about it now she's out there now I could even chuck her on and explain some of it but she um that was a big reason like we spoke about it too because I just kept on seeing the things that I went through with her and seeing how she was living her life. I'm like, no, I can't. That's not me because it just would get me quite upset and it would hurt me to think that I was going to – I'll say it. I'd let down my kids or do something that would, you know, make it – give them challenge or give them a situation where they didn't, they didn't deserve. And um, I guess um, – that was a big reason why I just said, no, nah, that's not me. And I just, you know, just said no. I'm, I'm, I'm and look, listening to what, what, what you said then about, you said, no, you're not accepting it. That's probably, I don't know, you don't want to go into a deep dive about this, about your mom, this yeah. is about you, but that's the difference between what you've done. You've, you have accepted the diagnosis. You have taken relevant treatment. And I know at times yeah. you've talked about, you know, the, the reaction that you had to the medication might not have been conducive for being a professional belief player the way that you played the game, but you still yeah. accepted diagnosis and you still knew that there was yeah. something there that you needed to continue to manage. Yeah, definitely. Again, when you have children, you you know, as you know, you you do anything. All I want to do is be the father I needed from a young age. You know, the someone that was sort of giving them the best opportunities and being doing everything I could. They're my biggest motivation. That's, you know, as they say, it's your why. And, you know, to be a good family man, be a good. So, you know, everything that I've done, I've really challenged myself and, and to be quite honest with myself and the old man in the mirror, like, am I doing the right thing here for the people that mean the most to me? Or is this quite selfish? And I'm all right, just, you know, so I've just sort of had to put things in place. And, you know, even this year, um, there's, been probably the most challenging year I've had in my whole career uh, for different reasons. But, you know, there was a little period there where I was, like, getting a couple of bottles of red and I was, you know, drinking a little bit. You know, I was like, ah, you know, the toe had me, had me, <laughs> had me uh, foot in the in the bucket of ice and I'd be like, ah, I'd have a bottle of red. And, you know, for me, a bottle of red wouldn't be enough. I'd be like, all right, going through the cupboards, what else is here? I'd start drinking me misses, um you know, the drinks of the shit, you know, whatever I could get, you know, it was just, it was never enough. So, you know, I got, I sort of had a good look at myself and I, you know, I wasn't playing while I was injured. You know, I had a lot of things happening in our life. I was just, you know, going to down this road and I went, no, nah, that's not me. I'm pulling back on this. I'm sorting it out. I'll get rid of all the grog in the house um, and just really start pulling myself up before it got too much. Um, I think over that, that period of the times I've slipped up and, and continued down that path. Now I sort of pull myself back 
you know, I'm quite, you know, which is, I'm so proud of myself. That's the first time I've ever said that. Proud of my, the person, how far I've grown to be in this position now to do that, um, which is good. You know, it's, it's taken a lot of um, stuff ups along the way to get to this point. Well, that's going to be something continuous for you, isn't it? Yeah. That you're, yeah. you're, you know that you're going to have to, but now you're, you're in control, really. Like you mean you talked about yeah. this, like recognition and then being yeah. able to rectify it. Yeah, for sure, 100%. And um, it's so, you know, this year, um, as you know, Mills has been a, a massive challenge for me um, in different ways. And, you know, as I said, like I was starting to creep down this path that I shouldn't have been going down. I was starting to get a couple of bottles and starting to drink and, you know, I was all okay, but it, it started to get too much and I sort of pulled myself back and I went, nah, this is not me. I, I need to stop now because this doesn't end well for me. Um, it just it just um, continues to get momentum and I needed to stop. And that's where I'm at now. I'm sort of really aware of myself and in these situations, which is good for me going forward in life. First of all, you should be proud of yourself, mate. So uh, yeah. just, just even sharing your story, mate, is, 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 is moving. And uh, I've grown up, my mother's a, a counselor and she had some pretty tough times and seeing how, how brave she's had to be, mate. I can imagine how 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 brave you've had to be at times. So, some massive respect. And and in that same theme, mate, just just how important storytelling is and talking and and verbalizing. Probably what sounded like when you were younger, sort of nearly an inner torment. How yeah. how easy was it to get to that point? Because obviously, you, you're now on a podcast. I've listened to some of your others. Um, yeah. You're an advocate for mental health. Yeah. How, how easy, but also how sort of cathartic and, and therapeutic has, has has the early part been? And then also now yeah. that you're sharing your story and hope, well, yeah. helping other people. Yeah, so that, that come on, like I was never going to share. I even kept it from some of my friends. And, you know, my wife obviously has been a massive supporter. I know when um, she rang around different charity organisations for me to give my time to, you know, because she knew how important it was for me to give back and it was a good uh, stepping stone for me. But um I was involved when I was at the Dragons again I went through that that period and um again people in the NRL knew um that I was sort of um I was doing a bit in the community and sort of giving back as much as I can because it was part of my own healing uh process you know I felt you know it was so positive for me to do that around football and um they started to bring out a a campaign uh, state of mind campaign it was around about um, bringing speaking about mental health and about you know people putting their hands up getting help and um, to sort of get into um, you know get it across through the NRL and they've done a massive campaign they asked me if I'd share my story and um, I was like no I don't want really too many people to know you know I was going to keep it private this is between us in-house as I'd say um, but my wife said, you know, you could really help people out there. You know, I always speak about I probably didn't have enough people that I've seen that were speaking, you know, getting help or getting professional help. I was, she goes, you could save lives. You could change people's lives and, you know, just share your story. I think it would be quite powerful. And, yeah, I did it. i done a little mini doco with me and my wife and my little girl um, where they come and filmed it and we spoke about different things. And um, it reached so many people across Australia and, you know, people would pull me up in the street and go, oh, your story actually you know, made me go and get some help for the first time. And 
you know, just started shaking my hand. Like, honestly, it would blow you away the amount of people that got in contact with me. And I didn't realise I was going to have that much reach or make that much of a difference, that much of an impact, but it really did. And, again, it was a big thank you to my wife in there that really, really, you know, uh, helped me to, to do that. Does that make your journey even more valuable? You know, when you, you see the influence or the support or impact it, it can have on others, Joel, just... Does it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I again, I guess it's part of my own healing. Like I feel like if I'm giving back and helping others, I feel like that's more important, you know, because I know it's making a difference. And I guess let's be honest, there's probably not enough men, you know, speaking about this. And and you know, I've lost family, I've lost um, cousins. You know, not so long ago, only last year, I lost one of my girl cousins who left behind some some beautiful little kids and. Um, you know, I've lost the friends, you know, the suicide and um, the people that just didn't know where to go or didn't ask for help and didn't speak about what was happening. So I feel like it, it is really important to, to, to speak about being an ambassador and I'm happy to do that because we need to change the narrative. You know, we need to normalise it. We need to break down that stigma and, and start these conversations is because that's what really does save lives. Um, you know, people get putting their hand up and getting help. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, without people that has had my back and sort of helped me along the way, you know, I hate to think where I'd be. Yeah, man, thank you again for, for sharing, pal. I can tell that obviously you're emotional about a lot of the points you're going through. Just to bring you to the sort of storytelling side of things, now you shared your story. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned about. You mentioned in, in a bit of jest, really, but just saying about any young kids out there listening to this, your path's not the right path to go. So if you're when you're telling your story to yeah. to uh, school children, if you're going back home to tell it to, to your indigenous community back home, how how are you telling your story to what what should they do? What what things yeah. should they go through? I'll just share the lessons that I've taken from my own you know story and I guess the times that I've slipped up and, and been quite vulnerable about that and just and be quite honest with them. And I guess I started to do a lot of um, – I started up the mindset project, um, the sort of because um, to go out and do – because I was doing stuff with different organisations and I sort of took the best out of a lot of them and started to put it into my own program. And, you know, I started to pick up a lot of traction and, and get into corporates and to get into schools and a lot of people wanted me um, to do it. Um, to go out and share my story and share my lessons and and you know and strategies and try and help them and I guess it started I started to contradict myself because I started to do it right but I wasn't actually um, actioning some of the stuff that I was talking about and I just it didn't sit well with me and um, like I'll be honest I was getting paid by some corporates some big money to go and talk at a corporate thing and do a, a mental health well-being um, workshop or a talk but um, it just didn't sit well with me. And I spoke to my wife, Amy. I said, I can't continue to do this unless I'm doing everything exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I can't go out there and, and, you know, be a bit of a phony and go out there and preach stuff and not actually deliver on, you know, go out and have a drink that weekend and go, hey, I just told these people, nah, you know, whatever else. So I'll just, I'll stop doing that work and I stepped away from it. I'll hopefully be an ambassador at some time in the future, but. I feel like I just need to get my own things sorted and be in a better place and, and not contradict, you know, some of the messages that I was giving, if that makes sense. 
um, because it is important to me to to do that work, but I feel like I need to be leading by example if I'm if I am going to do it. Um, so that's where I'm at at the moment with that sort of stuff. But it is something very special to me. But I guess when I started getting paid big money, like ridiculous, I was like, I cannot take money from these people and not actually, yeah, lead by, um, you know, by my word. So yeah, until then, um, I'm happy to sort of give back and sort of give, be that ambassador in some way. But yeah, just without all that. We mentioned this on the previous podcast. Who talked about if if things aren't congruent with your beliefs then you become something that you're not. Then you lose honesty, yeah. you lose authenticity. So you recognise, do you know what? Yeah. I can't really continue to do this because at the minute I need to sort myself out before I start to preach something that I'm not living myself. So my actions 100%. have to follow first. 100%, that's exactly it. And that's where I'm at. Um, you know, maybe down the track, you know, a couple of years or whatever, you know, I'm on this good path at the moment, but um, yeah, down the track and I'll always... You know, donate. I've given away most of my jerseys and and football stuff and the charities and different things like that. I'll always do that. It's just about going out and speaking to groups and doing that type of stuff. I just need to be, uh, I need to be honest and be real with myself before I do that. Picking up on other episodes and um, Joe, were you at uh, St Evans or would you have missed Jammer when he was at, at Saints? You'd have definitely come across his path out in Aussie. Yeah, I'll come across his path because he used to scream at the top of his lung when you were going to going to battle with him. Um, you know, playing against him at the Bulldogs, you just hear him just yelling like, "I was like, what the hell is that?" You know, do you hear him on the other side for the Bulldogs just screaming? Um, yeah, it's quite vocal, but very passionate. And you know, I've got mates, we've got um, the same mates, and they speak so highly about him, and um, you know, they absolutely love him, and I love what he's about. You know, an absolute warrior. Um, uh, a deep thinker. Um, I enjoyed his podcast with him, actually. He's, he's a good man. So the reason I mentioned him is, mate, he he alluded to the fact that he's got a, a deep sense or belief that everything in, in life is ordained and meant to be. Yeah. Have you, despite your challenges, always held an inner belief that you would come out the other side and that that your contribution to your sporting potential and and sort of space on this planet is is always going to be positive because looking at your how your childhood was framed there was lots of negative yeah. role models and stuff so yeah. did you always know it would be okay or as I knew, as yeah yeah to be honest um this is quite this sounds so bad I don't know if I should share it but I used to use motivation for myself I just didn't want to live the life of people around me as, as a child like I didn't want to be dependent on drugs and alcohol and live that life of not working and just in and out of jail. You know, that was a lot of people around me growing up. And I guess I always sort of put myself back to, you know, where I'd be if I continued down that way. And, you know, um, you know, I just, I don't know how you would even say it, but yeah, I just didn't want to, I sort of always knew there was a better life for me, you know, to be a good father um, a good husband, a good person, and and be the example my children should have. You know, set the example there, and, and be but and sort of always work towards that. You know, I do a lot of reading. You know, I struggled. You know, I couldn't read properly even when I went to boarding school. I used to have a teacher's aide. I don't know if he's having in the UK, but like he would follow you around and and to read to you and, and to fill in your your, school, your booklet. And uh, it was embarrassing for me. You know, as a young kid. And, 
Uh, I've had to work hard on my education and um, you know, now I do a lot of reading because I know I want to be self-improving and trying to be better all the time and, and to challenge myself. And, you know, I know it's been a big process, but I am, you know, the lights at the end of definitely, even my wife, you know, um, she, it blows her away how much I've improved, you know, over that period I've been with her. Mate, to have that that sort of growth mindset is is, is something that's fantastic. How far... Out of interest, how far along your journey of, of where you'd like to be, you on, on a on a personal level? Man, I'm touching this. I'm I'm there, man. I'm nearly there. I'm I'm pretty good. This year has really shaped me again. Um, I'll leave this country a, a better, a stronger person. And uh, yeah, I just think I'm. Yeah, I've come so far. I really have, and it's the support of the woman out there, and my you know the support of my wife and some some really good friends and family of really got me to where I am and uh, where I know I can be anyway and again I mentioned before it is very sad to say not it's not motivation but I just always knew that um, you know I had the demons in me and different things that could really put me on a bad path down to destruction and, and to really throw my life away and um, you know I just don't want to go down there because there is a lot of it's quite tough down there, you know, unless you've been around that sort of environment and to see the struggles and to see the hurt and the, the heartache, it is quite a tough life when you're in some of those um, environments. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's um, yeah, I just, again, want to do the, whatever I can to be the best father and everything for my family. Mate, just, just going into the season, really. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've come to the UK. You've made that that massive step in decision as a family to come across here, um, yeah. and and things have been difficult. And 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 I feel like uh, obviously we we've shared a, a lot of that situation throughout the course of the season through yeah. injury and everything else that's been going on. Can you just go through with us what how you came to the decision and why you came yeah. to the decision to retire? Yeah. Um... I'll start back. So I was at Manly. Um, I still had a deal there, but I guess um, St. Helens, my manager approached me and said, you know, there's an offer to go overseas. Um, you'll get an extra year. So obviously the family was like, all right, let's do it. Um, it's a big challenge, but I, I wanted to get over and play the footy because I come over and experienced it when I played in the World Club Series for the Dragons. I just enjoyed the fans. You know, they're very passionate, very loud. And I thought, this is awesome. You know, I want to get over and play again. Uh, we beat Warrington at Warrington. Um, it was just it was just really cool. I was like, I want to get back over here. So, yeah, come over here. Um, you know, I guess the challenge started when I stepped foot straight on um, in the UK, I guess, stepping out of Manchester Airport. Um, now, we had some, some really bad and sad news coming from Australia. Uh, my sister-in-law uh, relapsed and, and it was quite sick you know we was like oh we're over here now um walk out of the airport and you know the rain and the wind were coming down and hitting us in the face and my little girl started crying you know i just holidayed they just holidayed in um in queensland the sunshine i took her over she started crying and just going oh yeah hating it i was like oh no you know um yeah that was the start i guess um come over to a really good club, you know, like yourself and there's different people and it's a successful club, you know, and you can see why um, the people in it, not just the players, but the staff like yourself and the people that really cared. And 
Um, I knew I had to come to a club that had quite high standards, that had you know, great players before me. And I also always had high standards of myself to perform well, to play well. I come over with a bit of an ankle injury, which again, with your help, helped me manage that and still pretty stiff. But um, that was a bit of a mess. And uh, doing some running with you, I was just didn't move as well as I always have. You know, I don't think I've broken one tackle this year. And that's never been me as a player. And I started to get really hard on myself because I wasn't performing, um, you know, how I'd always perform. You know, I'd always break tackles or get through the line and just, I just wasn't the player I've been over the years. And, you know, I've been my biggest critic. I really have. Um, I guess that's kept me in the game. I haven't been the most skillful player, but I've always played the game quite tough. You know, um, I've done everything like that to, to give me a good career. And, you know, just different injuries. And, you know, as we'll speak in the longer, you know, even like with my hand, my fingers like that, um, you know, gripping a ball, like I just, I couldn't carry the ball hard anymore. I done it today in training. Like I tried to hold the ball and it just slips out, even though I know I need to, I just can't grip a ball hard. So then I can't run hard. I would like just different things. I was just like, ah, what's going on here? And uh, the famous toe injury, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, I've got this injury in my toe. So weird. Like, obviously, I don't know how they happen, but I've got this injury in my toe. And you don't think too much of it, right? That's your toe. Like, who cares? Crack on, as you say. And um, <laughs> but it, was, <laughs> it was sore, man. Like, I just couldn't run properly. I was hobbling along and I was getting my foot in, in this bucket of ice water as much as I could and it was like freezing. And, all right, get me a bottle there. Open up a bottle for me. I'm just going to have a glass of wine to get me free and then I just started getting myself in a really shit situation and didn't handle it probably the best I could um you know out of form not playing well you know my, my missus was obviously we were all upset and we were quite but we couldn't get flights for her back home to Australia and you know she wanted to get home to her family you know quite a close family and um you know even from earlier on we're like there's no seats for her to get to Australia and it just become an absolute nightmare. And it was hard because, you know, I'd come into training and, you know, the mask I spoke about before, you'd put a mask on and go to training and go, hey, you know, life's good. But I, that mask wasn't there anymore because I just did not care. I just, um, it was hard to come in and put a smile on my face because I just was not happy. And I was just um, obviously going through all the different other stuff about getting help and, and putting things in place. Um, I was across all that because I wasn't getting myself in any dark places. I was just, I was just low and, and really I, I felt guilty for putting my family in this situation, but especially my wife, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was being quite tough, like, you know, leaving her at home here in absolute tears and a mess and I couldn't do anything about it. And I had to go to training and leaving her here. I was just, um, yeah, I felt absolute shit. I really did. And um, I guess that reflected in the, my, my form and the way I've played this year. I probably haven't played, um, yeah, to what I'd like to. And it's been a challenging year, but again, I just sort of tried to get in there and just do whatever I could and, you know, um, um, for the year. And again, a really good team, a quality team, some really good players. And, you know, it's good to see, um, you know, players that have come in. And, you know, the first time in my whole career um, that I've been dropped, um, you know, out of the first grade squad was over here and by Big Wolfie. And, um, yeah, that hurt me, you know, because I've never been dropped before. But again, you, it's how you respond to different situations like that. You know, the run the water out and, and to do that, 
um, because when you get dropped in the NRL, when players did get dropped, they sort of just play um, like reserve grade or whatever. But to run the water out, again, when I, when they got mentioned to me, I was like, oh, run the water. Like the thing, you know, they were saying, oh, you're the water boy, you know, you'd bag something out. But it was like going to actually be a water boy. And, but I just took it on and I actually enjoyed it, which is crazy because I never thought I would, but I enjoyed it. I, I got out there and spoke to the boys and, and responded the best I could and, and swallowed me pride and, and sort of done the best I can to help them boys now. You know, if I'm picked, I'll give it a red hot crack. If I'm not, I'm there to help them in any way I can to help them get lift that trophy. You know, that's important to me now, um, you know, to do that as well. No, thanks, Matt. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. and, and like as a person that's that's in it and and that can see how you've managed those situations, you, you you've managed it with, you know, ultimate professionalism. So and I know that that's that's a conversation that we've had as uh, as a group as well. So it's it's been tough, I can imagine. When you did yeah. make the decision to eventually say, yeah, this this is my final year. Yeah. Did you did you feel any degree of was there a degree of relief then, knowing that that's that's the decision made? I know I've got to do. Yeah. 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 There's two things that come around that. So I just didn't feel my body was where it's been. Um, you know, I was just I'm I'm hard on myself, but that's kept me in the game. You know, I haven't been the most skillful player, but I've played it through um, a certain style of play I've, I've always played with, and I just wasn't doing the things that I've always have. You know, breaking tackles, breaking through the line. You know, quick play the balls, all these little things, you know, holding the ball. Like, you know, when I can't even grip the ball properly with these with these fingers that I've got, God love them. Um, you know, it's just all these different little things, picking up so many random injuries. You know, I was like, what is this? What's going on with my shoulder? What's going on with my tailbone? Like, just random stuff. I was just like, what is happening? And, you know, that started piling on. And, you know, the, the times I see my wife, you know, what she was going through was, was really, really tough. I've never experienced anything like it, you know, but it's brought us closer together um, because, like I said before, I pulled my head in, I stopped drinking, I've done whatever I can and I've, you know, stepped up in a big way and um, I guess we're going to leave a lot stronger for it and better for it, but, you know, to leave her, to go to training and to try and focus on football when I have a, a my wife at home who's had my back for so many years and has helped me so much to, to see how emotional and how sad how you know hard it was on her was was quite tough and you know trying to get her back you know i was happy to fight you know try and get first class tickets back to australia or business whatever but there just wasn't any tickets there wasn't any um way for her to get home and yeah it's just been an absolute mess in every way and you know i remember this one moment um we had to go to catalans and um to go and play against them and I left my wife quite upset. Her sister was in a really bad way, um, got rushed into um, intensive care and was just was really hard. And I had to go, what? I would to go on and, and do my job and, and go over here and fly over there. And I was over there and I had probably one of my worst games because I just did not care about football one bit. I just wanted to get home and be by my family, by my wife's side. And um, I remember the period after the game and, I felt so low, like I felt like a piece of shit. I brought my wife over here, put her in this situation. I know it's it's out of my control, all these different things, but I just felt a bit of, a bit of guilt in some way. And um, yeah, I was, and, and and then to play so badly and 
you know, I started getting a bit paranoid or everyone's off me, no one wants to talk to me. So I was just like a real, you know, which is not the case, but you sort I start thinking about that. And, you know, I just started feeling pretty shit. And, um, yeah, I was just like, this has got to end. And um, went and spoke to Wolfie and he has been pretty good. Like, I'll be honest, he's, he's been really good about it all. Um, I just said, you know, I wouldn't feel okay. You know, I could send my wife home and stay over here. You know, she wasn't comfortable with that, but she, she, you know, I could have just continued and played and finished off another year, but I didn't feel like I deserved to be getting paid and to take, you know, a wage and not play to the play, you know, my ability or to, you know, how I've played. So, um, yeah, I made the decision to retire after 15 years, whatever, and, and yeah, to finish up. And, you know, my last game of rugby league would, would have been the game we played against. Um, Salford, Salford, how do you say it? Salford, yeah. So that would be my Salford, last game, yeah. Salford. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not picked, and you know, any games coming up, that would be my last game of rugby league. And it's a, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next chapter now too. Having heard sort of your journey of self discovery and alluding to the fact where you want to be, you're nearly there. Has 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 that made the the decision around retirement easier? Because I'm sure we've all seen and can recall lots of guys that probably haven't discovered that sense of self so deeply and yeah. hang on and hang on. And then, and then that transition is probably not as easy. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm very comfortable now. Um, you know, I think it, a big part of it as well as um, doing a lot of things, uh, you know, giving back in my days off and, and working in the communities and, and doing a lot of that. And my, I guess it's made it more easy for me now to finish up because I know um, I guess I've had a bit of a taste what it's like to, to go into a normal role and to have a working day and you know just this you know out of your you know footy bubble as you call it um, but yeah I'm excited because I'll be joining uh, my mate's business the group uh, it's a railway construction company and he's doing really well so I'm going to come on board with him when I get back to the Gold Coast and and take up that role but I'm also going to be involved in rugby league um it hasn't been confirmed yet but i'll be doing some stuff an ambassador role with um the manly seagulls and also with the nrl you know if it's around the guys coming through again storytelling just helping to guide them and, and to sort of to share some of the lessons that i've taken through my career uh, thanks for sharing and all that you've gone through um just just one final question for me matt is uh what will what will Joel Thompson's story be going forward from now? So you've mentioned the transition, you mentioned the yeah. next chapter. What what do you want from your life going forward as you enter that new chapter? Yeah, there's just to spend some really quality time with my family. Um, you know, to be a really good father. You know, step up in that way and and be as I as I continue to do. You know, be hands on. You know, take them to their sports and and to pick them up. From, you know, just different stuff like that. But and also support my wife. Um, she studied over my career and she changed jobs. You know, she had a really a good government job, but she um, wanted to be a primary school teacher. So, you know, support her as well with her transition to start start teaching. And, um, yeah, just to be a really, you know, be the best person I can. I know it's cliche and, you know, be the best version of yourself and a lot of people say it, but I'm, I'm backing it up. I really am because I, I'll continue to put things in place and, and to know my personality and know that, if things are going down, I need to pull back and, and to really um, keep checking myself because that's important. Because I know my personality, I know I've been diagnosed with, I know 
I don't have an off switch. If I get myself in situations where people will go home to bed, I'll continue to drink and go and go and go until I shut down. So I just know all these things. So I'm going to continue going down this journey um, because, like I said before, I'm touching it now. I'm not far off being the person I knew I could be through a lot of hard work and support. I'm getting there. So um, I'm excited for that. And and to give my girls the best opportunity where um, – they can, you know, chase their dreams and get a good education and have a real loving, supportive family at home. And um, something that I envy and something I wanted from a young age, you know, to have a stable home, to have, you know, food in your lunchbox when you went to school, all these different things, you know, to have a safe home, you know, to give them that too. It's something I'm, I'm looking forward to doing. Yeah, I, I can feel the passion in your voice when you say that as well, mate. So that, that really transcends and, and comes across. Um, I think sometimes we take the more simplest things in life for granted, especially when we come from, I've come from a background which has been extremely privileged and and been nowhere, nowhere near what you've had to go through. So my kids growing up in the way that they're growing up, it's just something that I've always expected. Whereas for you, that's a massive identity thing for you. That's a huge thing that you want to succeed in. Mate, listen, yeah. I'm really aware that we've, We've been on the call for a long time and you shared quite a lot. And we, we originally said we'd be on Sorry, for 45 to an hour. No, it's not you, it's us. We just we just wanted to know more. But um for from for me in particular, mate, personally, you know, there's very few people you connect with and you connect with as quickly as, as we did. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some some of the things that you shared with me. Um to, to both myself and, and Sterlo and to the listeners that will hopefully come on the pod and listen to your story. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all your help, even with the little toe injury and all those different weird in- injuries that I've had. Um, no, honestly, you've you've been unbelievable and uh, you've helped me get through it all. So I want to thank you and thanks for having me on. And Sterlo, lovely to meet you, champion. Um, I know we know the same guys. And um, again, it's a pleasure. I, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's important, you know, the podcast you're doing and the style. I reckon it's, it's awesome. And, and, and uh, looking forward to listening to plenty more from you. Thanks for coming on, pal. Uh, two things. I realised uh, I was a physio on the day you beat us at Warrington, mate. So, small world, but also the pain <laughs> you caused that time. <laughs> I scored a mad try too. I know, I mate. One has I... tried to get it out. And <laughs> mate, so that was a miserable day in my life. Um, but, mate, I, you talked about authenticity and... <laughs> I think the standard you call yourself by with regards to remaining authentic to, to self and values, mate, is 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 uh is just massive. So, mate, congratulations on your story so far. Uh good luck to you both, uh, hopefully for a grand final. And mate, I look forward to seeing how your career and uh life unravel when you get back home. Take it easy, pal. Thanks, mate. Wow, Millsy, what a what a guy! Um, but first of all, congratulations on a third grand final uh, win in a row, which takes you, I think, square with Leeds Rhinos um, in the history of of back to back wins. Um, but also in the context of this podcast, that was that Salford game was actually um, Joel's last game. Yeah, spot on, man, and thanks. Thanks for the congratulations. I think um, 
not going into too much depth and detail, but it's a huge achievement from from all the players and the staff at the club. Uh, but to go back to Joel's side of things, obviously we recorded Joel's podcast before the end of the season, uh, just after he played that game against Salford, um, and approximately two games away from the end of the year, and he, and he didn't play again towards the tail end of the year. Um, what what more can you add to that podcast, really, other than? It was a, a, an enormous privilege to have worked with him. It was an enormous privilege to have the opportunity to interview him. And it was it was an enormous privilege to see how he responded to adversity at the tail end of the year. Um, met ultimate team professional person. Um, obviously, he was doing things tough because he wanted to play the game that he loved and he wanted to play... Uh, the sport that he was that he was getting paid to play, but that didn't come to fruition. So you just saw his behaviour change, and his behaviour changed to make sure that he was the best he could be to support the team. Um, and he dealt with that adversity for me with with ultimate professionalism, humility, and uh, with dignity. So I don't know if there's anything more to add on the pod because the pod just was so in depth and emotionally charged um, but yeah what a man great block I think mate like obviously he's uh, he's retired now and and his, his sort of career history will speak for itself but when he I feel really excited for him you know someone, he, he was said for the first time he was proud of himself and he he can he can nearly touch the ceiling with regards to where he wants to be in in his life in his his ambitions and probably headspace as well and I just I'm, I'm so excited to see how things pan out for him and and the, the, the second part of his story post rugby now that, that that's to follow yeah couldn't agree more mate um, if anyone deserves that success post rugby it's it's Joel and I think the other the other side of it is the excitement is is definitely there from from us two after talking about the podcast after we finished recording. Also, his excitement came through on the pod, but it, but it also in the pod itself gave us that impression of how fragile life is and how um, difficult sometimes we find it as humans to make the right choices and decisions, and, and we're all unfortunately. Um, at times in a position where we might not always make the right choice but it's then recognition on what we can do to help afterwards and I think one thing that came through from him was he's in a position now where he can recognise where potentially things may be going wrong and how he can help improve that situation and strategies in place to help improve that situation which um, was really was really nice to hear I also think it's a, a little reminder to anyone that that works in a position or within a team is how important it is to understand what might be going on in, in people's lives and, and behind the scenes because sometimes we can make flippant remarks or react in certain ways and, and, and the reaction that we get mirrored back isn't always what we expect and and to appreciate that some people might be treading a fragile line or or uh, in a space of difficulty so mate also 
I think probably by the sounds of it, congratulations to you or, or, or recognition to you for your support in, in that small part of a very tough period f- for him and and a, and a year where, like you said, or he said, sorry, for the first time he was dropped, you know, the support that you gave him around what he viewed as, you know, sort of joked about as probably insignificant injuries that are actually quite important to to a player's function. So um, I think it's, it's to be mindful of, we keep referring back to this, the person, but how important that is and, and how challenging that can be at times to, to make sure that we are as supportive or considerate as we can be um, to, 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 to help those people stay in those, those healthy headspaces. No, I appreciate that, mate, and thank you uh, for, for that recognition. I think if if we look at what we do in the positions that we're in, we're very we're very privileged to be in the position that we're in to try and help people. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't feel challenged, or I don't feel um, or you you want to make a difference, you want to help people. So for somebody to ask for that help, or for you to to feel as though you can give that person some level of assistance if needed is fulfillment for, for me and probably the same for you and other people listen to this that are in the similar positions to us that unbelievably privileged to try and create relationships like that, build relationships like that and help people. And it, and it does ultimately give you that feeling of fulfillment within your job, um, which is why we make the sacrifices we make to do this work 100% and mate it leads nicely into your you're now due an off season uh, Joel's back in Australia where we wish him well and I hope uh, some of the things that he talked about are already uh, in, in process uh, so we uh, we wish you a, a good off season um, and look forward on to uh, the next physio spill already mate which you know the stories we keep hearing can continue to grow, continue to be stimulating, thought-provoking, challenging, reflective. I'm, I'm running out of words, but mate, very excited and uh, but also grateful for 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 Joel's contribution so far. As am I, mate. And uh, just to echo your point there, um, I'll probably be in contact with Joel anyway and keep in contact with him. But if he does listen to this, all the best to him in his future and, and with his family as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Physio Spill podcast. Please drop into our socials or onto our website, www.thephysiospill.com for any comments, reviews, or any other further episodes. Take care.